0: Me th- special <laughs> I've always wanted a theme song. <laughs> well, that was all the introduction we needed. <clears throat> Hello, this is Death by Podcast, but this one is Death by Music Podcast, the first season, because we intend on doing more than one season. We'll see if that actually happens. Cassie Lord, I mean Gardner. I
1: said that the other day. Someone asked me what my last name was, and I was like Lord, and they were like, and
0: yeah. okay. I was like, shit, it's
1: wrong. <laughs> so gangster.
0: Uh, we've got Drew over here on the ones and twos.
2: Hey, ladies, and of course Alex Rose.
0: Hello, that's me. You may or may not be familiar with us. We did a, or we attempted to do a podcast like two years ago called Send News, but we don't like news. So it didn't work. That's like, we're not like pop culture-y. We want to do a podcast, but we want to do something that we are all interested in, which is music. Like we've all met because of music. Anyways, so for the, for the first episode of Death by Music, we wanted to start with something really big. So we decided to go with The Day the Music Died, which is... I made sound a lot happier than it really is. Um, It's a tragic story of not one, but three budding musicians all under the age of 30 who died um, and a pilot. So it's a story that has inspired countless tributes in the way of films, songs, and even monuments. And tonight we are going to be discussing the events of February 3rd, 1959, that led to the death of the Big Bopper, who was 28, Richie Valens, who was just 17, Buddy Holly, who was 22, and their pilot, Roger Peterson, who was 21 years old. Uh, we're gonna be focusing largely on Buddy Holly in this episode because he had the longest career and legacy, but obviously like other people died too. We don't wanna downplay or forget about their, the other victims. Honestly, when I read the big bopper, I just thought of like,
1: sock-em-boppers, and, and I was like, I don't even know who this man is, and I feel No, that. you remember
0: when we were twisting your microphone, and I was like, let's twist again. That's him. Do the twist.
1: I didn't realize that was him until we did, went, you know, oh, right. we did a little digging.
0: Oh, yeah. So, um, P.S. Um, Cassie has taken the time to put together some playlists of music that go with each one of the episodes that we're doing. So
1: yes. it's very fun. And yeah. it's usually once we've like talked about a song, it kind of goes chronologically. And then it has like influences like at the end. So
0: let's get to it. Buddy Holly was born Charles Harden Holly um that is holly with an e h o l l e y On September 7th of 1936, Buddy became his nickname as a child, and luckily Buddy Holly is a pretty catchy rock and roll name. Honestly. (laughs) Buddy Holly was a musician, a singer, and a songwriter of what they would call the second generation of rock and roll. So I had to look that up because I'm like, well, who was the first? And the first was musicians like Bill Haley and Elvis Presley, um, who Holly eventually opened for both of those artists. Um, Now... I'm sure we're going to have some people who are like, these were the real people who were the founders of rock and roll. And I'm sure, like, I'm sure. But yeah. everyone, it's pretty much widely agreed that Bill Haley had the first commercially successful rock and roll hit. So he's considered the first wave of rock and roll. I I know that's not where it came from.
1: (laughs) I went on like this crazy rampage of trying to find who was the first, because not that I wanted to prove you wrong, but I just wanted to see if I could like find a definitive answer. And it's not, it's like between multiple people. um, But the best I could find was Bill Haley's 1953 song, Crazy Man Crazy. Um, And just like Alex mentioned, it was agreed to be the first hit rock and roll success on commercial charts. I don't know at that time who was deciding them. It was still just radio stations. It was actually left up to the radio stations.
0: I think. I think it was like spins and, and plays and sales. It might have been sales. Oh, I maybe. don't know. How I do know. they do that? How do they do that? Um, back then? Somebody. Tells, um, we should probably know this, <laughs> but yes, obviously, like rock and roll has some really deep origins. But we're just talking about the first hit, anyway. So, Bill Haley considered first wave of rock and roll. Let's move on. Yeah. If you think we're wrong. I don't know. Are we going to have to probably Tweet are. us. We probably are wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> go fuck us, right? Give me a link. <laughs> okay, so Buddy Holly was born in Lubbock, Texas during the Great Depression. Like we said, 1936. And what do people do when they're depressed? Cry and
2: play music. There
0: you go, baby. You're so smart. Go
2: sorry. to shows.
0: Well, I don't think there were I don't think anyone was having shows. No? It was a depression.
2: Well they were go they were having shows during the impression. They were just like basement sweaty. It was
0: Billy over here with the fiddle.
2: Basement shows. Okay. Lots of lots of shitty basement shows.
0: who had a basement when they were living in a shanty?
2: Everyone in Cleveland to or wherever it was. They were. It's Lubbock. Okay.
1: They're probably all in trailers. All right. No offense. We? Yeah. I have family in Texas. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> so yes, Drew.
0: Yes, Drew. They play music when they're sad. Um, <laughs> lucky for Buddy Holly, his family was super musical. So he, along with his siblings, learned to play guitar and sing from a very young age, except for his brother, Lawrence, who didn't have jack shit for musical talent. <laughs> Fuck you, Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking nerd.
2: Larry Holly. <laughs>
0: So the rest of the family was doing, like, gospel country and rhythm and blues, as a lot of early rock and rollers were.
1: Now, I, again, research wormhole here. Rock and roll music was definitely heavily influenced by African American blues, but what made... Like Elvis and everybody so significant is that they were able to mix gospel and country into these genres opening up how traditional pop music sounded. It was universal for all cultures all different languages um, and it kind of paved the way for many new artists and plus teens love those gyrating hips of Elvis.
2: Elvis, Elvis <laughs> snuck into clubs when he was like a kid. He would sneak into like blues backdoor clubs and stuff. Sounds he like stole Elvis. <laughs> 90% of his dance moves from you know black blues players.
0: Uh, yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah. I mean. So, I mean. All, it wasn't
2: stealing. Like. He well,
1: he lifted a lot of material. Thing. Yeah. But, a but, lot of commercialized music started with African American people playing it, and then white people. Right. Stole but it. It, I yeah.
0: mean, it was in 1936, so obviously, like commercial white America was like, uh, yeah, we're not listening to that stuff until a white person came in and was like, but it's, it. it's kind of cool. And they were like, wait, what? Okay. Shake so, I mean, in a, in a way it opened the door. It's not fair, but right. it's not fair at all. Of course but not. <laughs> it helped. So I guess it helped. started
2: rock and roll. Now they're credited with it, which is good. Right. Yes. Okay. We all know.
0: So in elementary school, Buddy Holly became friends with a dude named Bob Montgomery. Buddy and Bob. Um, So they play songs together and at the same time, Buddy was also playing with some other musicians from high school, Sonny Curtis and Jerry Allison who actually went on to be, Uh, Jerry Allison went on to be a member of Buddy's band later on the Crickets. Now Jerry Allison played drums in the Crickets from 1957 to 2016. Jesus. Um, But it was easy. I mean, think about that. It was easy. Because maybe not
2: physically. No, look, yeah,
0: because if you could do it for sixty years, like I don't know a lot of seventy-six-year-olds doing John Bonham. John Bonham died when he was thirty-two, so it doesn't count. Like I feel like I could.
2: You could definitely. I could could probably do it. We could. I could
0: probably be Buddy Holly's drummer. Anyways, um, Buddy formed a band with a guy called Jack, and then they started performing on this local TV channel's talent contest as (laughs) just Buddy and Jack. (laughs) Buddy and Jack. Was that Dobby? (laughs) Oh,
1: I don't know. I heard a dog bark. (laughs) Probably. We had a coyote in our backyard one day.
0: Oh, that's fun. Do they bark?
1: No, but he wanted to play with it, and that coyote did not want to play with it. <laughs> Dobby was like, friend, and the coyote was like, get away from
0: eee!
2: me. <laughs> I'm half cat, half dog. Mm. Get away.
0: Half of me does not like you. Okay, so, anyways, um, <laughs> Buddy and Jack, right. So, once that opportunity arose, Buddy ditched Jack. He was like, get fucked. He said, like, hit the
1: road, Jack. <laughs> Don't come back. Bam. Good joke. And then um,
0: (laughs) Buddy was like, yeah, go fuck yourself. And then he went up with Bob again, Bob Montgomery. And then they actually were in a group called Buddy and Bob. Um, They started to gain some more popularity, and they were performing on radio and TV. By 1955, Buddy Holly was doing music full time. So he saw Elvis play in Texas, and... okay. He saw Elvis play in Texas, and then Buddy Holly opened up for him that same year for a string of dates in the summer of 1955. Um, This is when Buddy Holly's style made the switch from country western to more rock and roll. After that, he was able to open up for Bill Haley and his comments in Nashville, and he caught the eye of a talent scout. Um, Buddy Holly got his first recording contract with Decca, and that's when they officially dropped the E from Holly, his last name, it was a mistake, but it stuck. He started recording first as Buddy Holly and the Two Tones, and then Buddy Holly and the Three Tunes. Very creative. Decca wouldn't let him have any creative control over his shit. Except and, for the name. Yeah, except for the name. Two Tones and then the Three Tunes. So creative. Um, so if they're Buddy Holly and the Three Tunes, do they only have like three, three songs? Three songs, that's it. And then they have to break up. Mm-hmm. So all the songs that he recorded with them flopped. Whoa. Big surprise. <laughs> only three of them. <laughs> Um, Soon after, Buddy was dropped by Decca, and he was not allowed to re-record any of the songs he did with them for five years. And he still kept no E. Yeah, well, whatever. (laughs) I guess people knew him by that at that point. So since he couldn't record under his own name, Holly formed up the Crickets with Jerry Allison from his high school days. They re-recorded and released That'll Be the Day. In 1957, under the band name The Crickets. So that gave him control as an artist and financial responsibility of future recordings. So I guess they had done that one previously when he was Buddy Holly and the Two Tones or whatever. And because he did it as The Crickets, it was a cover I'm thinking I mean so he would have to get permission
1: like, from himself as licensing like so a tribute excuse band me to self <laughs> Can I use this song again? Yeah. Right? Thanks. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it wasn't owned so it wasn't owned by Decca. If they dropped him, they probably still didn't have the rights or they like gave the rights back to him. But if it is a cover, I mean, it it really no. depends on how copyright was back then.
0: Honestly, look, I don't know. Maybe they didn't do that song with those We other just guys.
1: work here. Who cares?
0: Um, we care. <laughs> So anyways, that'll be the day. That was a massive fucking smash hit. You know it. it. Was, it's on the playlist. Listen to it. They'll listen to it. We don't have to sing to you. I um, will, though, it was, <laughs> So it was rising on the charts, and then they started to get two more albums ready. They did a solo album for Buddy Holly, and then they were doing a group one for the Crickets. Um, and this is, you know, people were popping out albums left and right back then. Which is kind of how Spotify expects artists to do things now.
2: Yeah. Back then you could like just go to a, a booth in any studio and be like, I want to record a record.
0: And okay. Like you were out it's, in out of be there.
2: that $5. That day you're, you
1: had a record. Give me 16 you know? quarters. You got yourself a deal. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, meanwhile, it took Tool 13 years to release another album, but these people were just releasing an album. There's four more songs. They were here working 16. on the craft. Oh,
0: they had to perfect the sound. Math rock is it math rock honestly but I think it's crazy
1: because like there's uh, releasing something so consecutively like that after waiting such an expanse of time like you give people time to kind of forget about you but there was no like main medium for people to listen to music other than like the jukebox and going to sock hops so like where else did they hear you other than seeing you perform like, that's a lot of time for them to be like, Buddy Holly, who's that guy? Wasn't They he? just played live yeah. all the time. Didn't he have a time? hit in success? They
0: truly did. And all we're all gonna, the time. I mean, that's We're going to get to do. that. We're going to get to the touring schedule. It's fucking nutto. It's
2: unreal what okay. they had to do. But
0: also, like, with social media and everything, they didn't
1: have, like, I'm going to go look at Buddy Holly's Instagram. Like, they're not up someone's ass the whole time. Like, where are they going next? You know, you didn't have that.
2: They go to no. cities and, like, the manager would, like, like, give paper boys money to hand out flyers. You yeah. know? Stuff Crazy.
0: Like, uh, OG, okay. OG stuff. Let's bring it back. Um, <laughs> Buddy Holly landed a spot on American Bandstand, which obviously is a big, big fucking deal. Um, so he released Peggy Sue and Every Day, which are both great songs. And He had a girlfriend named Echo McGuire. Now which that's is a, a
1: cool name. Cool ass name. Echo is a cool name. Echo. They were creative with it. It's
0: sick. I love it. And it's, I've never heard it. Before or after No, Buddy I feel Holly's like girlfriend. if you did
1: it now in like modern days, though, people would say your name like multiple times just to yeah, be funny. Echo. So you couldn't do it, but it's cool.
0: They probably did it back then. Okay, so her name was Echo. Well, Echo left Buddy Holly for another guy. Even though he was at the top of the charts. Like, what the hell? How um, dare you, Echo? <laughs> rude. So he started dating a fan of his because he was no longer in the nerd box. He was in the rock star box. So he's got groupies. Um, but later he got back together with Echo from how it sounds. But I was a little bit confused on that. Either way, it sounds like an actual Echo. It just <laughs> keeps coming back.
1: Yes. Love that.
0: Yeah. So then around that time, he had some hits called Oh Boy, which is included on the playlist, I hope. Um, that one's probably my favorite. And then Not Fade Away, which is. It's, yeah. So it was his first single, but that was a cover. Wait. I almost was going to say it was a cover of the Rolling Stones. Yeah. The Rolling no. Stones covered it and it was like a hit when it was they covered like it.
1: bigger when they did it. Yes. Because it was the Rolling Stones. Um, but Grateful Dead also have their own cover on that song and I did include both of those on that playlist.
0: Cool. Yeah. I can't wait to hear them. Great. Um, so then Buddy Holly got on The Ed Sullivan Show, which is even bigger than American Bandstand. Ed. Um, the Ed Sullivan Show is one of the very few TV shows to air in the. T- Whoa! To air in the the same time slot for over two decades, uh, Sunday from 8 to 9 p.m. As an artist, if you got on The Ed Sullivan Show, it could make or break your entire career. As with Elvis, Buddy Holly's performance on The Ed Sullivan Show was very successful, and Buddy Holly and the Crickets subsequently joined the cleverly named America's Greatest Teenage Recording Stars Tour. And that one's a mouthful. He was touring the United States, Australia. He played 50 shows in 25 days in the UK. That's, That's what we were talking about, Drew. Touring till you fucking die. I can't shit, even handle
1: a 40-hour work week. How was this band even functioning?
0: I don't know. I, I think they weren't like drinking or on drugs and at When this you're point. talking
2: about playing back then, it's not like nowadays where like you're playing 60, 90-minute sets. I mean, these guys are playing for four hours at a time generally. Well, they
0: were doing two concerts a day for almost a month. I just don't understand how you could handle that. <laughs> (laughs) Buddy Holly had been focused on music for quite some time at that point, and he eventually met a woman named Maria Elena Santiago.
1: Not as cool as Echo.
0: The first time that they met, he asked her on a date. The first time that they met. So the first date... He asked her to marry him. Wow, so they, forward. <laughs> yeah. They got married on August 15th. Um, she accepted.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's crazy.
0: Well, whatever. What does she got When you what? know, you know. What does she got to do? He's the number one He's musician. A rock star. So they met on June 19th of that year, 1958. They got married on August 15th and waste no time. Pretty bold. Um, So Buddy Holly's manager advised him to keep the marriage a secret because his female fans will be like, bro, what the fuck? I was trying to get that. (laughs) Yeah. So they pretended that Maria was just his secretary to explain why she would be on tour with him. And the good thing uh, it's a good thing that she was there because she caught a major scam going on. While Maria was on tour with Buddy, she would collect the money instead of their manager. And eventually she realized that the manager had been taking royalties from the band and putting it into his account. So they had a huge legal battle. Uh, Buddy Holly got the short end of the stick again, ending with his manager, Norm. That can't be right. Norman Petty. <laughs> I wrote normal Petty, but I think it's got to be Norman. It's gotta Norman be. Petty. Held the royalties hostage. From Ironic those.
1: last name. So the
0: first time he got fucked over was with the first um, with Decca when Nor- they it said is Norman
2: Norman Petty. Okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> normal. Day. No relation to Tom. Maybe But I know. We don't of. know that.
1: Probably. probably. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Stop making guarantees. So the first time he got fucked over was with Decca um, when they said, you know, you're fired and you can't use any of your songs. And then this time, his manager held his royalties hostage. So Buddy Buddy Holly crossed paths with then-DJ and producer Waylon Jennings, and he recorded a few songs with him. Waylon was actually a DJ in Lubbock, Texas, which is where Buddy Holly is from. Um, and this is a side note. Waylon Jennings auditioned to be on the radio at just 14 years old, and he hosted a 30-minute show, which is mega short. Like, what the fuck? Um, and then he started up a band, too, and convinced... The radio station to play him. First and of that all that does not that happen. is not
1: how radio works. But what does a fourteen year old have to talk about for thirty minutes? When you were fourteen, what were you thinking about?
0: <laughs> nice. In January of 1958, Waylon Jennings joined up with Buddy Holly to form a new band for the Winter Dance Party Tour, which is still a shitty name, but not as bad as America's Greatest Teenage Recording Stars Tour. Um, this is kind of where bad stuff happens. Brace yourselves. Dun, dun, Put on your jacket.
1: At the winter uh, dance party.
0: Because it's the winter dance party tour, <laughs> and it started in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on January 23rd of 1959. They had 24 shows scheduled for 24 days. Crazy. In the Midwest, in the winter, they had... Dion and the Belmonts, who were rising up. Richie Valens, who had just gotten big. He was only 17 at the time. And, of course, the big bopper, who is also known as his real name, J.P. Richardson. Um, There was a shitload of travel. These guys did not even consider how far apart the venues were when they scheduled their shows. So their tour route was zigzagging back and forth, like sometimes over 400 miles between stops. It's
2: good to know that 70 years later, booking agents still can't route shit.
0: (laughs) These guys were... uh, I, didn't they do it themselves? Tell me, tell me if this is the same. So they would have over 400 miles between stops, which I think is like the whole state of North Carolina. Yes, And they would be driving.
2: Yeah, it's nuts. In a bus. You're asking for death.
0: Plus, it was cold as balls, and the tour buses didn't have heat. At least they have heat now, but yeah. that shit was.
2: Yeah, back then they had like... Uh, Candles and shit They let a fire out that. <laughs> oh, my <gosh>. like,
0: <laughs> you guys, Don't get it near the engine. <laughs> you guys are like 100 years ago.
2: Oh, my God. Okay, so anyways,
0: the tour buses didn't have heat. It was cold as shit. They broke down twice, according to some reports. And um, a Buddy Holly historian named Bill Griggs estimated that five separate buses were used in the first 11 days of the tour. That's insane. They so, just kept
2: needing new greyhounds. Yeah, everything like, was yeah, wrong. every, every two kept days, breaking just down. Get yeah. stuck and they're like, here's another they one. They
0: were
1: troubleshooting.
0: <laughs> so here's another one. They also had no road crew. Um, so they were doing all of this themselves and it was anywhere from twenty degrees to negative thirty six degrees.
2: Negative 36?
0: Negative 36. So, um, so Richie Valens and the Big Bopper both came down with the flu during the tour. Figure um, out. And remember, the tour is 24 days. The flu probably lasts about like eight or 10, I would think. Sometimes so two weeks. Six, like, I mean, like, so you know. they're fucked. Like, like most of the tour. They're, they're done. And here's, um, okay. So they came down with the flu. Poor guys. Buddy Holly's drummer... Jerry was his name, I think. Jerry Allison. He had to go to the fucking hospital for frostbite on his toes that he got while he was on the bus. Okay, who
1: packed these buses, though? Because, like, after frostbite is set in, like, obviously blankets won't do anything. But did they not have warm clothing? Like, how? Was he not wearing shoes on the bus?
0: I don't get it. I, I don't Back get it. because they just,
2: like, wore, like, their dress shoes that they were going to play in, you know? Like, but you were, just- you were
0: inside, and then I guess you're moving your shit out. So, okay, there's some... Time to get cold, but at the same time you're moving,
2: Guaranteed so your blood's flowing.
0: Wasn't. And then the bus must have been just f- freezing cold.
2: Yeah, it's terrible.
1: Negative thirty six,
0: bruh. Oh, I'm sorry. The drummer at this time was named Carl. My bad. Wow. So Carl had to. He got frostbite on his toes. He had to go to the hospital. So it was a Carl, dude. And uh, <laughs> it's always a Carl. Um, Buddy Holly was like, "No, Carl needs his fucking toes <laughs> so he can hit the hi hat." So we need to figure something out. It was February second. They had only been on tour for 10 days. Buddy Holly got them a charter plane so that they could get to the next venue. Okay, so on his plane, it's supposed to be Buddy Holly, his guitarist, Tommy Allsup, and Waylon Jennings, plus the pilot, Roger Peterson. Um, So I guess they just planned on hiring a new drummer because Carl had frozen toes. Poor Carl. Um, But I actually read that Carl was their only drummer for all of the people who were performing. So he was going all night long when everybody else was just doing one set. He was performing drums for you everybody. Paid for
2: everyone. That's typ- it's so typical. Like nothing yes. changes sometimes.
0: So you remember... Um, the thing, if you if you kill three local drummers, then you'll eradicate every you single local
2: annihilate band. like three quarters of the bands.
0: There's no such thing as local music anymore. S-
2: well, it's similar with bass players too. For some reason,
0: hmm. well, so what they what they decided to do because Carl was the only guy drumming and his toes were frozen. Buddy Holly, Richie Ballads, and Dion took turns playing the drums. Which they sick. could do, because they were pretty fucking easy.
2: Yeah, I've seen videos, actually, of, uh, of Dion, and they're, they're sick. I mean, they're getting it. Yeah, he's a special boy.
0: Okay, so imagine this. They drove 350 miles from Green Bay, Wisconsin, to Clear Lake, Iowa. And that was one day that they did not have a show. So, what did their promoters do? They called... The local surf ballroom and booked one anyways. Trying to get that money. Yeah, that's rude as hell. (laughs) So they showed up and they were like, bro, what the fuck? Like we had a day off and now we have to play. So up next after Clear Lake was supposed to be Moorhead, Minnesota, which was 365 miles back in the same direction they had just come with two towns they had already played in the last week. Seems like you could make a line and go, Dink, 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 dink. Yeah. Instead of going, zigzag, zigzag, zig, zag, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. That's I like your direction. That was the
2: first and last time anyone ever toured the Midwest in the winter.
0: <laughs> or ever.
1: <Probably laughs>
2: ever. Don't go there. Don't, don't go to Minnesota in uh, fucking February or whatever. Just don't go. Don't, yeah.
1: Bye, Minnesota. I mean, I think that's why there's generally like concert seasons. Or <laughs> Iowa. What
0: the fuck isn't, I don't know. Corn. Corn.
2: Lots of dance halls, I guess. Like, maybe they had all the dance halls. In the Midwest, what else do they do? Play bingo. Exactly.
0: Okay, so um, these guys were obviously frustrated because they're like, wait, what the fuck? Weren't we just here? Like, why did we have to drive all this way? Like, why is this guy having frozen toes? So Buddy Holly was like, fuck this. I'm fucking rich, and I'm getting an airplane. See you guys in Fargo. Peace. So they called up this dude. Hubert Jerry Dwyer of the Dwyer Flying Service, and they got a plane with 21-year-old Roger Peterson piloting. Um, go ahead.
2: Can we talk about a 21-year-old pilot?
0: Yeah, we're about to. Do you want to get into how it? Because I got some fu- details on that. How the
2: fu- what? I mean, what's the schooling for? When did he start I, school when he was like 15?
0: Baby, I'm about to tell We got the facts here. The flight costs $36 per passenger, which is about $316.88 in today's money, or at least when I wrote this, that's how much it was. Which is
2: exactly so. how much a plane ticket is to L.A. right now in a pandemic.
0: Save me a seat. Okay, so um, for a flight from Clear Lake to Fargo today, it would be $473, and that's on fucking Delta. So these guys were getting a deal. They were getting like $200. It's a bro, off. discount. Anyways, so some people say that the plane was called American Pie because of the Don McLean song, but they're wrong. It was actually called. N three seven nine four N.
2: Creative, oh, way less
1: romance.
0: I'm going to get into the pilot at some point here. I just don't remember which part. Oh, it it's was, further down. We, we I feel, do get
1: into it. I feel really crazy because there's like a lot of stuff that I was as I was reading. I was like, Alex is going to have to read this because I was like, there's no. I'll just insert my my knowledge. I truly went and into thought. a lot of. Technical
0: there was a lot details. of detail,
1: which is appreciated. But I was also like, well, damn.
0: Yeah, I wanted to get the true story yeah oh cause I mean we didn't even talk about sources at the beginning of this but I tried to watch the I actually paid for that fucking Buddy Holly movie and it was not accurate at all the whole thing was a lie like it was garbage but there is actually a Buddy Holly biopic I believe I read this earlier this month that is being made and this one's supposed to be more accurate I
2: want to see a new one with Joaquin Phoenix
0: has Buddy Holly? Yeah. Just, He's too old.
2: Oh, no. He already did walk the line. He lot. was like 20. He was already
1: Johnny Cash. He already he did Johnny
2: Cash. He can't be Also, him.
1: I can't see Val Kilmer as anything else but Jim Morrison now.
2: That's also true. He's <laughs> is no. His face structure was perfect. What did you do
1: peyote in the desert with no shirt on?
0: So before they took off <laughs> in the plane... It was Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, Richie Valens, Waylon Jennings, Tommy Allsup, there it is, (laughs) the guitarist, and Bob Hale, who was a DJ at KRIB Crib. Um, Waylon Jennings was supposed to be on the plane, but remember, the Big Bopper got the flu. So Jennings, being the gentleman that he is, let the Big Bopper take his seat. Buddy was like, hope your old bus freezes up. And then Waylon Jennings literally said to him, well, I hope your old plane crashes. And that quote haunted him forever. And it should.
1: Yeah. Why? <laughs> Can you imagine, like,
0: <laughs> have a nice
1: death, you know, something crazy, and then that person actually dies?
0: So um, Richie Valens was, like, super scared of flying. So even though he also had the flu, he asked Allsip for his seat on the plane. And Tommy was like, Mm, yeah, let's do a coin toss for it because I'm <laughs> that's not the I'm only not way you decide nice, anything. Yeah, I'm not as nice as Waylon Jennings. I'm not just going to give it to you because you're sick. So, Bob Hale, the DJ, tossed the coin and sealed Richie Vallon's fate on the plane.
1: Also, Bob's fault that Buddy Holly's
0: <laughs> It would, He would have been fucked either way because he could flip it and either one of them would what have died. What if he had a double sided coin?
1: Yeah, that's true. Either
0: one of them would have died. So, he's going to be guilty no matter what. That's true. Sorry, Bob. Sorry, Bob. Dion of Dion and the Belmonts, um, he has always disputed this story. Um, He tells it differently. He says that Buddy Holly asked him to fly rather than his own bandmates. Dion commented in 2009 that Buddy Holly said, We're the guys making the money. We should be flying, but I only have two seats. Um, Dion claimed that the big bopper wasn't actually sick How and that the coin you. toss was actually between himself flu. and Richie Valens. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. In this situation, though, Dion sounds like kind of a dick. Um, Dion said that he won the coin toss, but because he's such a nice person, he decided that the ticket price was too high um, because $36 was the same as his rent, so he let the other guy take so, it. So, but Buddy all
1: Already had the plane tickets, but he was like, You can ride, but you have to pay me.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I think they were gonna split it. He chartered the plane, so there weren't tickets. It was just like, split the cost. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, it was like a private. You can ride, but you have a baby. So, um, whatever actually happened, Alsip and Jennings both say that Dion's full of shit. (laughs) You hear that, Dion? And he didn't tell that part of the story until he was old as fuck in two thousand nine, and that's a lot of time to make yourself believe something. That
1: recall: once you tell yourself something, you're like, "Oh, I didn't do that. I didn't make that embarrassing comment." And then, like six months down the road, you're like, "Oh no."
0: Yeah, but but like. 50 years down the road. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I. Because this happened in 1959, (laughs) and I think that 59 plus 50 years is 2009. But I'm not sure.
1: You know, math was never my strong suit. But it's also weird the memories that you do repress just to, like, get them out of your head. Like, if you didn't want to feel like you were part of that and you, you know, didn't want to believe it was your fault, you just like, well, it was kind of my fault.
0: But he didn't have anything to do with it. He was just saying that. He could have been on it. Yeah, Maybe it was supposed to be me. They gave him clout. He was like, I could have been dead. <laughs> yeah, but I was, um, I don't want to pay that much money. Well, whatever. So their show ended. They went to the airport. They chartered the plane from that guy named Hubert Jerry Dwyer. Um, he had his own flying service in Mason City. So the weather taking off did not look great. It was lightly snowing, the ceiling was 3,000 feet which I believe is, like, if you're standing on the ground and then there's clouds up in the air 3,000 feet, yeah, that's, that's the, the ceiling. See, wow. when you
1: said ceiling, I was like, the plane ceiling? I was very confused. <laughs> that's all I was like, guys I'm going to let Alex tell it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what does that mean? That's what I yeah. think
0: I meant when I wrote that. Okay. Um, and, so, and the sky was also obscured with visibility only being six miles out. Winds were from 20 to 30 miles per hour. Sure. So, Roger Peterson did not get the word that the weather was getting worse and not better. So, they carried on. He was like, I mean, what could go wrong?
2: You can't blame him for wanting to book a plane to get off that damn bus, that freaking cold bus. I mean,
0: but no, no one blames him. Is it cold in an airplane? Yeah, but it's shorter. They don't it's have to definitely sit in the quick. They don't but, have to sit in a bus for eight hours or whatever it's gonna be. They can just get there in like two. Which I I don't but know. But do you pressure
1: times. the like the guy like, hey, I mean I know it sucks, but like can you do it anyway? Like Safety concerns. Like yeah. I mean, now, sure. but Well, then- no, I don't
0: think that they did. I don't think that the passengers had anything to do with it. I think they figured this guy's a professional. He's a pilot. He knows what he's doing. Mm. And if he feels confident to do this, then we trust him. It's so- wild that in
2: 1950, like the, you see those videos 59. of like 59, when you see like the videos of like the 12 year old dude, like picking up people from the bar, you know? Like, you see, like, kids doing, like, adult jobs. Well, they can
0: be the DD, then. He was 21. So, okay, here's where we get into Roger Peterson's qualifications. I mean, it's not like they asked him, like, wait, dude, how old are you? Before we go flying. And I mean, they just assume when you get a charter plane that they're giving you a qualified pilot. Like, you think this guy knows what they're doing. And they're not briefing you, the passenger, on the on the weather. They're briefing the pilot. And, and once, also, if the pilot says nothing- it's chill, then, like, you're like, cool, let's go. There's no yeah. proof that
2: he was a shitty pilot either. It, okay. I'm just amazed that it was, like,
0: Well, with hour. all the air time. All right, well, let me, let's go into it. Um He didn't know. Apparently, nobody told him that the weather was getting worse. So it's also important to note that um, Roger Peterson was not even certified to fly based on just instruments. Most people, I'm sure, fly based on what they can see. But when you're doing air navigation in like really shitty conditions, it takes a lot of training and skill and certifications. Um, so Roger could fly based on visual flight rules. But you need to be able to see the horizon to orient yourself. And when your visibility is only six miles, you can't always see the horizon. So if
1: he knew that mileage, he was like, well, I'll just give
0: it a shot. Not necessarily mileage, but just which way is up. Because when you're in a yeah. plane, like, shit feels fucking weird. And um, yeah, it's when It's time, visibility-
2: right? I mean, right? you can't see the ground. Yes,
0: so pilots who are doing, you know, who are flying, I don't know, across the ocean... I'm sure that they have to be instrument certified. They have to be able to read all of the dials on their dashboard and say. I mean, this way is up. You would
1: think that anybody could do that in a situation where, if they were up in the air and then like something does go wrong, then they could still be able to.
0: Well, he was he was basically an amateur pilot. (laughs) He could fly during the day during nice conditions. Right. He could not read those instruments. He did not know how to fly based on instruments alone. There was no visibility. Which is crazy. Um, When the visibility is obscured, you move to instrument flight. Rules. The plane took off normally from runway 17 at the Mason City Municipal Airport in Iowa at 12.55 a.m. on Tuesday, February 3rd, 1959. The guy in charge of the plane, not the pilot, but the guy Dwyer from the flying service, said that he watched the taillight lift off and disappear out of view. Five minutes later at 1 a.m., he was expecting radio contact from Peterson, the pilot, to make sure that things were okay. uh, But he didn't hear anything. So he made repeated attempts to contact the plane on the radio, but nothing was going through. So Dwyer started to get nervous. And at this point, it's 9.30 in the morning. Um, He's waiting for the sun to come up. And he decided to take off in his own airplane and retrace the route. Not even a few minutes passed when he saw... The plane crash, which was actually less than six miles away from the airport. So they literally crashed right after takeoff. Yeah. In the middle of a cornfield. And nobody even found them until eight and a half hours later. Mm. Looking at the crash, investigators were able to tell that the impact was at high speed. So the plane banked to the right, and went nose down. Mm. The right wingtip struck first, which caused the plane to cartwheel in a frozen field for 540 feet before hitting a fence. Cartwheeled. Yeah, the so plane. the, 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 the wingtip on the right balloon, hit balloon. the ground, and then it... it you know just
2: flipped yes it just Shook it away. just
0: flipped for 540 feet so it's safe
2: to say that there was no one like alive to the you crash think rate.
0: i'm including all this detail and i'm not going to tell you that <laughs> be patient find out next time i'm just kidding
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to do that no cliffhangers here we're going to get to the shit
0: okay so um they hit a fence after tumbling for 540 feet this thing is flipping Buddy Holly and Richie Valens were ejected from the plane. They were found near the wreckage. The Big Bopper got thrown over the fence, and the pilot, Roger Peterson... Ejected. Out of the plane.
1: Because
2: you know it was from a hole made in the plane, and they just... Yeah. No seatbelt, just... Came through.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Man. So um, Roger Peterson's body was found tangled in the wreckage. Um, (sighs) The rest of the tour, meanwhile, was all traveling by bus to Minnesota, and Anderson, the manager of the surf ballroom that they had just played at, was the only one there left to go and ID the bodies. And they didn't even want to play there. Yeah, because, he, well, he was the person who drove them to the airport. So since everybody else was gone, he was the only one who knew what they looked like. Uh, the county coroner, Ralph Smiley, certified that all four victims died instantly from gross trauma to the brain. Yeah, they were shaken up. For the musicians, and then brain damage, which seems like the same thing. For the pilot. He had that
1: going up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
0: Damn. Sorry. Way to malign the dead. Jesus Christ. So um, come after me, his family. Now, like I said, Richie Valens was only 17 years old. He was the youngest to die in the crash. Yeah. Um, if you guys... you, We've all heard about... Not releasing victim names until the families have been notified. Yeah,
1: I made a note because I watched a lot of Law and Order SVU episodes, and I know that is like the first thing they can't give anybody information until the family is notified. This is why. Yeah,
0: this is the exact reason why um, Buddy Holly's pregnant wife Maria mm. um, she found out about his death on the motherfucking news. How dare you? She found out on the radio on the news, yeah, right? whatever, like, I mean, Listen
2: to a damn radio.
0: I don't know if it was TV or radio. Either way, she found out on the news, she found out while she was pregnant that she was now a widow after only six months of marriage. She also had a miscarriage and some reports say... Um, that it was one day after the crash, but um, apparently we can't really prove that, but it said that the miscarriage was a result of the psychological trauma. So Buddy Holly's mom also heard the news on the radio, and she screamed and collapsed, Um, and it's heartless and wrong, but that's the media for you. They are always chasing the story, but that's literally the reason why there is a policy against announcing victims' names before the families have been notified. I mean, yeah. That makes so, the most sense. At least good.
1: give them time to grieve before the general public's coming to them and be like, hey, your son died. And they're like, what?
0: I mean, imagine just having someone call you up and be like, hey, did you hear about this? And you're like, what the fuck? Like, you know, it makes sense. about it enough. It, it, it wasn't in... Sure. There's was a reason why... That exists now. So um, if you guys have ever seen the movie La Bamba, um, which is about Richie Valens in this story, they depict Richie's brother, Eddie, hearing about it on the radio as well. He's working on a car at the time. I'm not sure if that was actually how he heard about the news, but still, it's fucked. Um, The big bopper also had a pregnant wife and a five-year-old daughter. Um, His son was born two months after his death. He was planning to buy a radio station. He'd written 20 new songs. Wow. Um, So get this, all of this happens, one person has frostbite, four people are dead, and Buddy Holly's widow, Maria, had a miscarriage, and the tour carried on.
1: There's no way. What? Yup.
0: Now the winter dance party sounded pretty inappropriate. They replaced Buddy Holly with Bobby V, who recently passed away in 2016, um, since he knew all of the words to his songs. And Buddy Holly's bandmates, Jenning and Alsup, they also kept going for two more weeks.
1: I cannot imagine having to sit there and play knowing that your friends were all dead and then you have to still play the same songs that they were nights before playing with you and now you're like fuck.
2: Not to mention they're like what they're getting paid. Like they're not yeah. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make any sense counter just, their grief. That's amazing. I couldn't imagine being in that scenario. No, you like need having time. like my like lead singer die and then being like, well, Get out there, chap. Go play some drums. Yeah, I mean, it
1: ruins bands, what you know? What are you
2: talking about? Like, you don't get, get that, out of here. Rep-
1: You can't replace somebody that prolific.
2: No. That's that's what's, I think, the saddest about it, is that, yeah. like, this guy, he obviously went down in history, you know, for certainly one of the greats, you know, a pioneer of his time, and, like, they were just like, carry on.
0: So all of their funerals were held separately. Waylon Jennings couldn't even go to the funeral because he was stuck on a fucking dance party tour. Mm. Um, You can visit the graves of Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper in Texas. Richie Valens is in California and Roger Peterson is in Iowa.
1: Well I guess I mean Maria didn't even go to Buddy's funeral and she never even visited his grave. Uh, She actually told the Avalanche Journal in a way that I blame myself. I was not feeling well when he left. I was two weeks pregnant and I waited Buddy or I wanted him to stay with me, he had a you know, scheduled tour. Um, it was the only time that she didn't go with him, so she blames himself knowing that if she had gone along, she would have never let him get on that plane. So um, that sucks. Yeah, but that's or another she,
0: case of someone blaming themselves right. for it. I, I mean, mean, that's the first... Guilt. Process yeah. of grief. if I would have just yeah.
1: done this, then
2: this would have been a different. Yeah, record.
0: but like if I would she have just was been there, pregnant. It was in yeah, the Midwest in the winter. Do, Carl man. lost his fucking toes. Like that poor girl, not going.
2: It's been that's way too much stuff to yeah. deal with. Like that's just so fucking sad. And th-
1: what sucks too is like before that crash, his latest single wasn't even doing well. Um, it's called "It Doesn't Matter Anymore," which is like okay. <laughs> um, it was getting pretty rotten sales. Um, but basically the music industry hadn't discovered the fact that they could, you know, commercially... Benefit, yeah, benefit from these untimely deaths. Um, record executives in the industry were shocked to see that the song, the song, you know, shot up. They were like, oh, it's the last one he's done. We have to listen to it and see if we can oh, find yeah, any we milk hidden meaning, you know, milk like they do work. now. Fuck um, that, Yeah, dude. so basically that months went by and his albums continued to sell. So his BFFs over at Decca, who previously dropped him, as we spoke of, decided that they were going to rush a Greatest Hits album out just Besides, to sell here's this, here's that. more records. Yeah, so Guess basically... got
2: none of that money.
1: Afterwards, he benefited years. Seven years after his death, he was still on the Billboard charts, which is crazy, hmm. under DECA.
0: So Aye. after the whole um, plane crash, they did an investigation um, that was carried out by the Civil Aeronautics Board where they found that the pilot... Here you go, Drew. The pilot, Peterson, <laughs> had only 711 flying hours 128 hours of which were on a Bonanza, which was the plane that they were in in the crash. Jeez he God. had 52 hours of instrument flight training. Um, he had only passed the written exam and was not technically qualified to operate only on instruments. Just visual flight rules, but he couldn't see. Seriously, though, that's like
2: right around, I don't know, 13, 14 days of flying. Hour-wise, like hour-wise, like, what? Hour, hour wise. like that that's like yeah. all he's 52 blown.
0: hours on. It was 52 hours on instruments.
2: 52 hours. Oh, okay. Never mind. A so not thing.
0: not like enough. I mean, that's not enough. It's <laughs> not <laughs> enough. You have to pass your test. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. He didn't. He was not qualified. Yeah. Um, Peterson had also failed an instrument check ride nine months before the accident. He got training on an artificial horizon, which I think is the device that's like a compass that orients to the earth's horizon so if you're kind of tilting in the plane it's going to show you like oh you need to go a little bit to the it's left it's like a level yeah yeah i think so um so in the plane that they flew they didn't even use the artificial horizon which was the only instrument he had been slightly trained on they used a gyroscope which i think works in the opposite way graphically so instead of showing yeah. you the horizon it shows you north or whatever up and down but i don't fucking it's know it's like
2: a compass and a level in one
0: don't quote me, because I don't fucking know. I don't know.
1: I wouldn't so he w- he was sitting home. there yeah. thinking
0: that he was going up because he's thinking, oh, this is an artificial horizon, but it's not. It's a gyroscope. So he was actually going down, which kind of explains the angle that they came in on. He Ew. was thinking, oh, like I need to turn the see, plane. He
2: didn't even see the ground until, yeah. He they didn't hit see it. the ground
0: at all. He just wow. turned the plane because he thought, oh, this is the way that I'm supposed to turn the plane, and, and then, then that's why the right tip rolled. hit. Yeah. Terrible. So... Yikes! Um, so the Civil Aeronautics Board said that um, the cause of the crash was the pilot's unwise decision to embark on the flight. He should have known not to fly. Honestly, but it's showbiz, baby. You gotta make shit happen. And if he pulled it off, if he was able to get them to that next destination, then maybe he would get to stay on the tour. And he you don't trying get to be chances like, like that very often.
2: No, he's trying to be like a rock doctor. He's trying to be like the rock pilot. You know, like, yeah. I'm gonna get you the gig, guys. But
1: yeah, is that gonna make you, though, then say, like, oh, what if I kill all these people, though? Like,
0: no, he wasn't thinking about He's that, I'm sure. Was about- he was He's thinking, south- like, hell yeah, I get to fly the fucking biggest stars in the world. Like, this is gonna be awesome. I can't wait to get He's them there.
2: 21. He's like, I'm gonna get laid so much for this. And I'm going to. <laughs>
1: Can you imagine some guy being like, hey, one time I flew Buddy Holly to plane, and you're like, oh my God. Yeah.
2: At midnight, Let's have sex. in a snowstorm. <laughs> oh my God. It was dark as shit. I couldn't even see the horizon.
0: So how we got there.
1: Yeah. He only rolled the plane three Fail. times.
0: Yeah. Okay. So now we need to get into some... She I'm going to say that again. Let's get into some conspiracy theories. We love these. Yes. In, That's what I'm talking about. In January of 2007... Rumors were swirling around that there were shots fired on the aircraft. Jay Richardson, who is the big Bopper's son. Um, this is the guy who was born two months after his death. You remember the big bopper's wife was pregnant. Um, so Jay Richardson requested that his dad's body would be exhumed. Um, they wanted to put a bronze statue at his grave anyways, and the cemetery he was in didn't allow it. So they were already digging him up regardless because they were like, fuck y'all, we're moving to another yeah, we cemetery. We need that
1: gold statue, no oh, bronze statue. We need a sorry.
0: statue, we're, we're leaving, goodbye. Right. So while his body was out, they examined it and they proved that there were actually not any shots fired at the scene, at least none that hit him. Uh, Jay Richardson said of his dad's body, dad still amazes me at 48 years after his death that he was in remarkable shape, which I have to say, what the fuck? You're looking at your body's your father's body for the first time ever. He's dead. Right. He's been sitting in there for 50 years. He has fractures from head to toe. And you're talking about how he still got it. I went on. Yeah, I went in because I was like. I feel
1: weird Googling how long it takes for a body to decompose. Please don't look at my mm. Google search history. But it can take between 8 and 12 years for an unembalmed body buried six feet down to decompose to, like, the full skeleton. So this can vary or take longer depending on the climate, the moisture in the soil, and the kind of coffin they were actually buried in. So I'm just assuming it was, would have just been a skeleton. 50 years is a
0: long time. So a skeleton wearing clothes, and he was like, he looks good. He looks good. Could Who also have been
2: like, I don't know. because he's a corpse, the loss of body fat makes him look like he has a 12 pack.
0: But what we're there saying is, there would be no body left. It would be just be skin.
1: bones. Oh, right, right, right. 50 years. Yeah. Sure. 50 years, it would be a long time. It's
2: weird that he said that his dad was in good shape.
1: I don't know. I would have that man examined. <laughs> Not the body. <laughs> in 2015, the National Transportation Safety Board got a request to reopen the investigation by Pilot L.J. Kuhn, he thought that the 1959 investigation was wrong and that it could have been from the Rudder Vader V-tail or fuel system, um, which is basically I don't, oh hang on I thought it was going to explain, but it doesn't. Um, Ignore that. Cut that out. Uh, It's even, Or it could have even been the problem of weight distribution on the plane. Um, Basically, he was arguing for the pilot who got shit on all these years. So basically, he was like, well, maybe it's not his fault. Um, Yeah. So basically, the National Transportation Safety Board could not find enough evidence to justify reopening the case.
0: There was a guy who was a retired pilot, and he was like, hey, let's give this guy a little bit of benefit of the doubt, and let's look at the instruments and look at everything in the plane and make sure that it was actually functional before we just assume it was inexperienced. And if it is inexperienced, then fine, but let's make sure we're covering all the bases and not just like saying this guy sucks when it might not have been his fault. But they, they didn't even reopen the case because they said there wasn't. Did they
2: have, what do they call those things in airplanes, black black boxes?
0: It was nineteen fifty. They didn't have
2: those. They didn't have those back then, right?
0: I don't think so. Where it just
2: records everything with the, yeah.
1: Ugh, probably not. Highly I don't likely. think they had that technology.
0: So now um, we want to look at what could have been if this never happened. Um, There are some movies about the whole thing. Like I said, the Buddy Holly story sucked. La Bamba was pretty decent. Um, But it's officially been 60 years now since the crash happened, 61. And you can't help but wonder how things would have gone if the plane never went down. So this is from What If Buddy Holly Hadn't Died by Aaron Carson and Len Camerata. When he died, Buddy Holly was on a kind of lull in his career. That's why he was on tour in winter in the Midwest. He would have come back though, he was actually saving up to buy his own studio. He didn't plan on giving up anytime soon. So say he continued making music. How would he have fared against the British invasion of the 60s? Some people say that he would have greatly influenced it, writing with the Beatles, the Kinks, especially if he had continued with his own label, which is something that he was working on. Um, Kind of wonder that if if he could have signed some of those influential British bands coming in. Yeah, For
1: sure. so this is where had issues because he did have influence on that invasion. Um, Britain devoured Buddy Holly Records. There were demo tapes, B-sides, and previously unreleased unre- recording sessions. They all shot up on the charts and turned Holly into one of the forefathers of the British invasion um, that would soon arrive in America five years later. So, fun fact, both John Lennon and George Harrison learned to play guitar in part by listening to Buddy Holly Records.
2: Even at this point in Buddy Holly's career, like like Buddy Holly was not even close to where he was going to be.
1: Right. You know, like yeah. he
2: he was already written so much good music that was owned by labels. Like he hadn't even busted out of that threshold of people owning his music yeah. yet. Like once he had that studio, that was like he would have launched from there and been this completely different. I mean, he's famous as shit now. Well, even if he work, didn't,
0: even if he didn't go through as like a producer if he had just continued making his own music. Um, it's likely that he would have traveled the same path as a lot of the 60s rock and roll artists did. They kind of yeah. went from rock to like acoustic folk to maybe even psychedelic. Sure. And I'm trying to hear Buddy Holly on LSD. That <laughs> sure That'd be crazy. I would sure. like
2: to. <laughs> and there's a flip side of the coin too where like maybe he wouldn't have been as famous if he didn't die as young as he did. You know, like that's like contention. Maybe. Because they died young. It's like the idea of thinking of what they would have done. Or you done. just
1: get that argument where people said, you know, maybe they would have made as good of music and kind of would have just tapered out and he would have like fizzled and, you know, that sure it would have just gone
0: away.
2: Yeah. There's so many what ifs.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I think um, the most, well, I don't want to say the most interesting, but a very interesting part of this whole situation is that for some reason, when people look back on what is really a tragic event of people dying, they don't think of the Big Bopper or Richie Valens or Buddy Holly and especially not... Roger Peterson, Uh, but they think of somebody who wasn't even involved in the situation in the least, but he wrote a song about it 12 years later, and that is Don McLean. Uh, He was always a fan of Buddy Holly. He addressed the incident in his song, American Pie, in 1971. Uh, He found out about the crash in the paper on February 4th. He was a delivery boy, and that's hence the line, February made me shiver with every paper I deliver. Uh, Thanks to Don McLean's poeticism, February 3rd will forever be known as The Day the Music Died.
1: Yeah, the first song actually memorializing the musicians uh, musicians were Eddie Cochran's Three Stars and it was recorded just one day after their deaths. Like how do you do that? Without crying, I don't know. I mean, especially if you knew them. It's different, like, I mean, I've been to Elvis's home in Graceland, and, you know, I've seen his grave. I had a friend, her mother actually cried. I'm like, I didn't know him, you know? I get it's like a cultural icon, but it's like, you had no personal connection other than, like, you liked the music. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But Don McLean's 1971 single, American Pie, turned the plane crash into a metaphor for the the moment that the United States actually lost its shred of innocence um, hence the day that music did die. But honestly, uh, up until this point, reading all of this information, I had no idea that song was about <laughs> really? I What? I don't know. So, I mean, I grew up, grew up on classic rock music, but like, I guess I never paid much attention to the lyrics, little did I know all like the small, minor details. So, Whoa. I'm just like, you know, this is a song you play in a bar at the end of the no, night. There's like. there's like a whole. It did go there in the I had, 90s. Yeah. I had, it
2: got used for yeah, that in the 90s.
0: Yeah. So, I had no, I mean, there's a whole like around. analysis of the symbolism in that song. And that oh, song I'm is, sure. that song is eight minutes long. And there's a lot of, a lot of shit that's going on, but it's, I I'm think. Mostly
2: Remember it for the Weird Al uh, parody. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. That to. The saga begins. It's the it's good a Star Wars, Star Wars so, one. Yeah. But yeah, the um, the day the music died. I always thought it was super interesting. But it it's one of those sense, songs that when you listen to it and you take it at face value, it it seems like it doesn't really make any sense. It's all of these weird images that he's talking about. But when you have somebody who can think symbolically and they spell it out for you, you're like, oh right, that makes sense. The day the music died. Oh, the newspapers. Oh, you were a paper boy. Does, oh, it was February third. Do like, they play a radio edit? Or does the actual
1: eight minutes get played? Because I we when, play the whole eight I mean minutes. Googling this, it says American yeah. Pie part one. I'm sorry, is there a part two to this if song? Because radio- it's already eight minutes.
0: <laughs> no, if any radio station cuts that song up, then they are it's like sacrilege. Yes. It's not okay because that song needs to be heard it's in its entirety. Cut it up and play it out of order. It's
2: got a real <laughs> thick, got a super thick bridge in there.
0: Yeah, I mean, the internet literally says American Pie Part 1,
1: but there's no Part 2. I'm confused. Mm. Oh, Part 1 and 2. I guess the... How
0: long are they? Did you put that song on the playlist?
1: You better. I believe so. Why would I have left that out? We're just talking. (laughs) We're over here going over it in detail. I pull the lyrics up. I mean, I recognize what it's talking about, but don't
0: ask me to sing it. Well, I mean, I guess that's pretty much it. That is um, the day the music died. That's the story of Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens, February third, nineteen fifty nine. Uh, we wanted to start it off on a on a really strong note in a story that a lot of people might be familiar with, or if you're not, like, yeah. you probably should be.
1: Again, I didn't know the small details, so it's just like maybe that helped you figure it out. I don't know. We're yeah, I didn't.
0: I didn't know, and obviously, like the movie and any of that stuff doesn't really go into what. Actually happened, right. and I wanted us to tell people something they hadn't heard before. So breaking down, you know, the flight and how everything actually went was super important. Um, and the, uh, like the the dynamics of the tour, because there was a lot of shit going on there that should not have been going on. No. That's
2: so many lessons learned. Yeah. from this situation. Especially touring, music industry, (laughs) tour managers, take care of your musicians, band managers. Stop being cons.
0: Yeah, if you really care about making money, which we know that's the only thing you care about, then take care of your talent. It's just so (sighs) bizarre the way that they treated them. It's a
2: shame that that is the beginning and like it still happens today. Yeah, it's something that has to change. It's a good story to tell.
0: Well, if you guys are interested in hearing some of the artists that we mentioned today on the podcast, like we said earlier, um, Cassie has made a playlist for this episode and for every episode of season one. So you can head on over to Spotify and check out Death My Music podcast, potentially. Yeah, this playlist (laughs) is
1: called (laughs) D-B-M-Buddy. <laughs> I had to think about it. I was like, I kept writing DMB, and I was like, it's not the Dave Matthews Band. Yeah, yes. we're not doing the Dave
0: Matthews Band <laughs> no. here. No, yeah, cut out all the parts where I sound stupid. <laughs> You're saying like, cut out all the parts where I talk.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> just no, delete no, no. my
0: entire vocal track. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse <laughs> me. Goodbye. Where did it go? I don't know. <laughs> All right, so I've been thinking about some ways that we should likely end this podcast, and I thought that we should just end it by saying, rest in peace. You don't like that idea? <laughs> I was very rest like. Rest in
2: peace, buddy Holly.
1: I was doing it Undertaker impression. I was going to say it was very Undertaker sounding. <laughs> rest
0: in peace. Oh my God, just play his sound clip. I don't rest think, I think I'll get peace. sued. Oh, problem. <laughs> I think if I play his sound clip, he'll come and chokeslam me
1: play his sound
2: clip. (laughs) Is it called a slam? Isn't it called a tombstone? He does a choke slam, and the other
0: thing when he flips him upside down is the tombstone pile driver. Uh, uh, I like
2: that one. I like the tombstone pile driver.
0: Yeah, maybe he'll tombstone pile drive me. I saw a meme today that was like, no more sex till you put a ring
1: on it and somebody put like a WWE ring around their (laughs) bed and I was like, oh, (laughs) jeez.
0: Sign me up. (laughs) Okay, bye. Okay, bye.
1: We could all just say bye. Later, nerds.
0: (sniffs) Music by Demons. At Demons Band on Instagram. Mastering by Adam Daub. Graphic arts by Mike Johnson. Writing by Alex Motler and Cassie Gardner. With assistance from Drew Orton.